0: From Social Service Daesh, I'm Jing Yao. Since 2013, both sides now have sought to normalize end of life conversations by creating artistic projects and engaging Singaporeans at public locations such as hospitals, town centers, senior homes, and HDB Void decks. Last year, in 2021, the project researched and engaged the Malay Muslim community, culminating in the Katakata Kata Kita variety show. And behind this endeavour was a multidisciplinary team of creatives and researchers, four of whom are with us today. With Artistic Director Heng Lun, Lead Artist Adip, Creative Producer Su Lin, and Research Team Member Hazira, we chat about the genesis of both sites now, the experience of staging the Katakata Kata Kita variety show and the project's upcoming public engagement programme in Bedok this year. Welcome to the podcast, Heng Luan, Adib, Hazira, and Sulin. Perhaps before we begin, I'm just going to invite each of you to introduce yourself and briefly state and, and share your involvement with Both sides. Now. So maybe Heng Luan can go first. So you can take the lead.
1: Uh, my name is Heng Luan. I'm uh, the artistic director of uh, Both Sites Now. I'm also the uh, founder and resident artist at uh, From a Box. Uh, I've been involved both, both Sides Now since 2013. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten. <laughs> it's been so long, and 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 I've I've been uh, always been the artistic director of the project, planning, curating the programs as well as uh you know trying to find out you know what what artists would really want to work with gotcha. and how to work with.
0: Thank you, thank you for joining us this morning. Adip, off to you. Hello everyone, uh,
2: my name is Adib. I am a theatre practitioner and I've been involved with Bosex now also since the 2013 in different roles. Uh, I started out translating the materials, uh, collaterals and also marketing and artistic materials into Malay for our, the Malay audience. And since then I've also been a actor, facilitator and a collaborator throughout. And since the year 2020, I've been on board as one of the leading artists for the Malay Muslim Focused Edition, Both Sites Now mengukir harapan.
0: Thank you for joining us this morning. Hazira.
3: Hi, my name is Hazira and I'm a Senior Research Associate at the Center for Aging Research and Education at the Duke NUS Medical School. So I'm one of the three members of the research team in my professional capacity. But I've been a volunteer with the Both Sites Now project since 2018 and uh, got involved in my professional capacity in 2021. Fun fact, I wanted to get involved in 2017, but I had a lung collapse, so I had to turn down the training email from my hospital bed in which I was contempl- contemplating my own life. So yeah, you could say my involvement started in 2017, but you know, as a volunteer officially, in 2018.
0: Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you for having
3: us today, Chinya.
0: No, it's a pleasure. And so tell us more about your, your involvement and your work.
4: Hi, everyone. I'm Sulin. I'm the Executive Director of Walk Collaborative. So together with, you know, uh, Heng Long Drama Box, like you we said, we've been doing this project since 2013. So it's almost been 10 years. I think when we started out, Heng Long, we, we did say, let's try and make this a 10-year project, right? So um, almost there and, you know, really thankful for the funding that's come in over the years. We essentially are creative producers intermediaries. So... Bringing together sort of the the people, you know, the resources. Looking at program design, looking at designing both sites now, funding, evaluation, and also partnerships. Doing volunteer recruitment and training as well. So yeah, I mean, basically working very closely with the creative team, and uh, it's been it's been quite a ride. It's been an amazing journey, and for myself, a very personal one as well because. I was personally very drawn to the project when we were commissioned back into 2013 by Lian Foundation and Ang Chimor Foundation. And at that time, um, going through my own grieving process and, and dealing with loss as well. My partner's uh, mom had cancer and passed away and a few family members as well on both sides. So doing a lot of existential kind of thinking, spiritual searching, and just coming to terms with a lot of things. So, I've actually healed a lot through this project as well. I have to say, yeah. Thanks, Junya, for having me.
0: No, and I and it's a pleasure. And I think it, it, it's something that we will many themes across about four of you shared will we of touch on. And all uh, four of you talked about how this thing this 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 endeavor started in 2013. And so I thought you know maybe we could start there. So you know you have had many artistic and community engagement projects since 2013. And really, the purpose from what I understand from both sides now is to normalize conversations around the end of life, death, and dying with dignity, right? And I think it's quite neatly encapsulated by the tagline, living well, leaving well, right? So tell us maybe a little bit about how both sites now started in, in 2013, I believe, at uh, Kutekwat Hospital.
4: Yeah, maybe I'll take that question. <laughs> and yeah, the overall context question. So like I mentioned, yeah, we were commissioned actually in 2012 by Lien Foundation and Ang Ching Moore Foundation. So they were the original commissioning foundations. I mean, along the way, we had a top board come in, you know, Ministry of Health as well. But back then, uh, it was commissioned by the foundations, and they were very clear they wanted to have this project sort of, you know, involve healthcare workers and, you know, in a hospital setting. And so for us, it's like, wow, okay, this is a potentially taboo topic, and we're talking about, you know, death and dying, and you want to be in the hospital. I mean, that's like really potentially confronting. So we were a bit nervous going in, to be honest, because, you know, at that time, end-of-life issues weren't talked about so publicly yet, and what got more in the hospital setting. So, but we took it as a great challenge. The creative team at that time also, we were coming out of a previous project called IPS Prism a lot at public engagement around difficult issues as well that one on governance in Singapore so we're like yeah you know we were <laughs> on a high and we're like okay you know this, this kind of arts-based public engagement has to continue especially around taboo topics because the arts just provides that wonderful space medium process to do that so we then went around looking for potential hospital sites and it wasn't easy right because hospitals here are very densely built it's a lot happening Kutek was, Quad was beautiful as a site, open spaces and, you know, but more importantly, the management was very progressive. They weren't daunted by the topic. The CEO at that time was Mr. Liap, and um, he said, okay, let's do this together. So, so and and spatially, it just worked for us. And so that's how it, it became Kutek Quad. But for us, it wasn't, I mean, we wanted, of course, to have healthcare uh, workers' voices there and their stories and, For the foundations, they wanted also for healthcare staff to be able to talk about their journeys working with patients towards the end of life and to provide their their perspectives and actually to kind of talk about how they've inspired also by patients, right? And how the end of life journey doesn't have to be scary. So for us, we wanted to honor that. But we also recognize that the voices in terms of the patients, the caregivers, Kutengkwa is also cited in Yishun, which is built in a very open way where actually residents walk through the hospital or go there for various reasons, not just for healthcare needs. So for us, it became a community kind of engagement project beyond the hospital community as well. And yeah, so we did a three-week public engagement there, different art forms, theatre, film, installation art, participatory activities, and they were beautiful lake and boardwalk there where we staged performances and it was uh durational so like it was beautiful because we staged it you know near sunset it was still bright into sunset into night so like all these metaphors lah right and we collected stories from patients caregivers hair staff and then we told the stories back to audiences there so i won't go too much into detail but that's essentially how we, we started back in 2013 but our intention was always to want to go right into the heart of communities, meaning like right at the foot of their blocks. But for us, okay, we say we try hospital first, see what their responses were, which were largely positive. And in the subsequent year, 2014, we managed to sort of, you know, really do what we wanted, um, which was to go into, you know, the heart of, of like the foot of blocks. And so in 2014, we were in... um. Katip and then Topayo as well. So I'll kind of stop there since the question was about 2013. But (laughs) let me know if you want me to continue. But essentially then we went into different geographical communities.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the sharing is... Illuminating because you no know, what when I I mean I'm taking notes and I'm I'm, I'm listening the, the words that you keep coming back to is community engagement that it's centered it's centered on the patients it's centered on the healthcare workers it's centered on on narratives and, and stories and sharing those stories right and since we have Hingwan Adip and Hazira and each of you Hingwan started in 2013 Adib 2013 and Hazira 2017 2018 I thought it'd be nice to hear from each of you in terms of two things right number one what was that one activity and project you've been involved in that that really has been the most memorable for you and tied to that would be in, in doing that project you know, based on your engagement with the community and the public as well what are some of the reasons you commonly hear when doing these projects about apprehension of Singaporeans over having or engaging in end-of-life conversations so a reminder for the listener we're going to hear from the most memorable kind of project you've been involved in since 2013 and 2017 2018 for Hazira and then some of the apprehensions you've heard from participants or, or community members through that process so I'll open it up to to Heng Nguan added for Hazira. I think we want to start first. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm
1: trying to recall too many things in my I head.
2: Know.
0: I can start first because I do have something in mind. Yeah.
2: I think for me, one of the most memorable experiences was actually this project called The Last Dance, which I was part of actually with Molly. So both of us ended up becoming the leading artists for, for this new edition, right? It was uh, basically a, a dinner party and what a son and a mother talking about grief. And it was memorable for two reasons. One, because of the subject matter. It was a son confronting grief and also engaging with the audience members in a a casual round table dinner setting, party setting, right? So there was one particular lady who came for all the shows. And, And this show had two versions, a Mandarin and an English version. And I performed in the English one and she spoke in Mandarin and she shared about how her story about her own, daughter's, her own daughter's passing. I think what stood out for me was the fact that she came for numerous shows, but she shared different bits and eventually opened up, uh, I think, on the third show. And f- she was always there. She was always listening. And it felt like the space that we held for someone like her was like to really like reassure and give her that, that avenue eventually to share when she was ready. And there was something that, that stood out about, about both sides now in general because it does give space in, in various levels of, of how somebody would want to connect with with grief and with end of life issues. Um, and the second thing was also because it was in English and we were me and Molly, we 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 are Malay identifying, right? And it's very clear that we are Malay, there were feedback that, oh, there's some things that the Malay community couldn't access in, especially through that, through that, through that version. La. And I think that led to where we are in this edition as well. So, because of that, I think last Dance was probably one of my most memorable ones. And it was done in both Telok Blanga and also Chongpang. So, different communities also had different ways of accessing it. And that was also quite, quite interesting and, and illuminating.
0: Gotcha. Thank you. Hang on. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, I did you stole my last dance, <laughs> most memorable thing. And I had to like search my email. But well, it gives me a good opportunity to bring up another segment which really touched me as a volunteer. So in 2019, there was a carnival at Teluk Blanga, right? And it was in this open field next to Safra. And the transformation is amazing. If you would like, occasionally I pass by Safra. Now at Teluk Blanga when I'm cycling, I can't imagine that we had that huge tent and with like various installations. but one of the very, like the most, the things that struck me most as a volunteer, in my capacity as a volunteer, was this musical interlude that was staged as part of the carnival. And the story was from a healthcare worker who, was, uh, who became a nurse. If I'm not mm. wrong. And he had talked about how his father, you know, he had a rebellious face in his, in his like, younger years. And his father used to record over like his, I think it was like rock music with religious sermons. Right. And then, you know, that's just such a Malay parenting thing to do. I don't know if this is Malay, but like, you know, growing up Malay, or that's mother thing to do like you rebel and then she'll be like, I'm going to record religious sermons over the music, over the heritage of music you like. But in one of the tapes after the father passed, the protagonist uh, found a message left behind by 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 the father. And that message, I mean, I don't know what is it's recorded. Is it recorded? So, I hope it is. But that message was essentially like for the son. And it was a very hard message and I remember as a volunteer just bursting into tears because you know we're on our feet so much as volunteers right you catch snippets here and there you know Mm -hmm. sometimes you have the privilege of going through the whole like dry rehearsal you know dry run of the rehearsal but for that, uh, I was on my feet. But that, that song and also the performer at that time, her voice just caught my attention. And that that particular episode like, really hit me in the gut, crying in the middle of Safra. Mm-hmm. So that was like really memorable for me as a volunteer. And in my professional capacity, it has to be a community engagement workshop. So some contacts, there were seven run by the artistic team. And basically the job of the research team is to observe, right? We observe to download, you know. And, and the community engagement workshops were really fascinating to me because I mean they there were seven, so they cut across the slice, like different groups of the Malay community, right? And just to hear how members of the community felt that there were it was a space where they could reveal things that they might not have told to another person that was really powerful like I personally dragged three of my personal friends into the workshops and I had known some of them for like more than 20 years and I found out things about them that over two decades of friendship did not reveal so I think that was really the power of the workshops the community engagement workshops that we had uh, last year.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because the common thread we you know Adit talked about creating space and facilitating assurance and connecting with grief, and it's almost analogous in the sense of like community engagement works just a holding space to, for these narratives and stories and for these reflections that you might not talk about on a day-to-day basis, right? And that that's that that's that's that's, that's, that's what's standing out to me as well. And I guess, you what was something that was memorable for you and and your tenure through this 2013 to present experience?
1: By the way, City, I still see that,
0: that, that nurse. I see
1: him quite often. Yeah, in, uh, in the hospital. <laughs> when he tells a story, he's actually very stoic. He's still very stoic. <laughs> okay, I think one of the uh, installations that we did in, in uh, Duapayu was actually quite memorable. Over the few days, that happened. Uh, so I remember because in that show, we had a coffee as part of the installation. So uh, when the coffin was downloaded from the, uh, our transport truck, it caused quite a kind of chill amongst the community. Why is there a coffin there? Nobody is inside. Literally, not nobody is inside. Uh, and, and the tentage looked like funeral, yet not funeral. And in fact, you had people gathering around it or, or trying to like into it and trying to see what are we doing, what will we doing. So you you, you can see actually once the moment when uh, things like, you know, objects like this uh, comes in uh, and artifacts like this comes in, uh, it it really gets uh, people curious. Curious not because it's an everyday thing. Though dying is an everyday thing, it just happen around. But when it's been put in such a, a, a way, it just makes people feel somehow curious, some probably uncomfortable. And so as we were installing the the thing there, there were people who be coming around, passing by, trying to watch. They may not sit inside there, but they just want to know what what was happening. But as days goes by, when news starts to come that, oh, it's a performance, you can actually even lie down inside the coffin. Then you have more curious people. So there were people who come. So I remember there was this audience. uh, She came for a number of days wanting to try to lie inside the uh, coffin. Because within the coffin, there's a sound installation. You can hear conversations in that sound installation. So I think it took her to the last night of the performance, just before we were going to strike the whole whole, whole installation. She said, I just have to try it. And she went in to lie down. I think this whole process actually describes actually how the kind of uh, struggle one's get when one has to do with uh, this kind of uh, uh, topic. So that's one. The other one is actually working in Teluk with the community. I was working with Molly and uh, we were spending quite a lot of time at the, uh, at the Fort just trying to get to know the elderly. And they were Malay speaking and I couldn't speak Malay so I always have Molly as my translator. We, we started really thinking that we wanted to talk about end of life. But, uh, Upon talking to them, we realized that they don't, didn't want to talk about end of life or they're not ready to talk about it end of life because they were still struggling with their everyday. They're still trying to, you know, make sure that, you know, they have food on the table. They still have to think about some of the issues that they're facing constantly. So there's this elderly lady, you know, who always sit there, jovial, laughing, you know, can tell jokes, you no, know, but she has a son whom she worried about, a lot about because her son uh, needs the support. The son... Um, with an accident and had to be on a wheelchair and things like that. And it was difficult to talk about all those things, but then she had other more interesting things that she wanted to tell us like no the void deck is dirty let's let's make the void deck cleaner (laughs) or things that she's more interested like her friend what happened in marketing so in the end we we changed our whole direction we talked about what it means to make the void deck clean for her Mm. uh, for even the community so that you know there is a means there's a a sense of why they are there and that their existence is actually being acknowledged then what was really interesting was that uh, throughout this whole experience I've seen her son but she has never told me that it was her Son. That was her son. But we all know. Uh, But she never said that. I remember then one of the the days after many sessions of engagement, she got to know us better. Uh, I remember one day we had to return. She'd lend us a table and we had to bring the table back to her house. So I remember carrying the table back to her house and I knocked on the door. Then I saw this Malay Muslim lady she was probably lying down and sleeping and she was woken up by knocking. And then she sat up and I realized that she was without her to-do. And she didn't have any sense of suddenly feeling uncomfortable. And then she just said, oh, you just place there. It's okay. You just place there. And subsequently, I could go into her house. I could have conversations with her. And then even after the end of the project, when I visited her doing life her and things like that, that's when you start hearing her stories about her concerns for her son. Uh, I think engagement uh, is, is really not about a one-off, you know, kind of contact. It, it takes a long while. And uh, in that particular case, it, it, it means about building relations. It means about, you know, hearing her. Uh, it means about, you know, seeing her and then she being comfortable with with us in her space, you know. And she being comfortable in our space. And I think each encounter with her will always, always remind me of something that, you know, you know, engagement really takes a lot of uh, giving and taking from both
0: sides. Yeah, That ties in really nicely because the four of you have helped, have helped us get a sense of the, the journey of, of both sides now, right? Because Sulin t- t- took us through the Kutik Park project with the healthcare workers and the patients. Other talked about the dinner party, the last dance, the really personal interaction between son and mother, processing grief. Um, really talked us through the, the carnival and then different forms of community engagement and trying to research and preparing and hearing from the narratives and stories. And Hingwan talked about, you know, different, the, the community installation of the coffin and the apprehension that folks had when they first saw it. And then it took time and time and effort involved in building relationships and being patient and creating and sustaining these engagements, right? I thought that was a nice kind of segue to then look at the most recent project that both sides now has organized, which is in November 2021, last year, the variety show Katakata Kata Kita, which is live streamed from Aliwawa Arts Center. So all three shows are available online and we'll link them in the show notes. And I cannot encourage folks enough to, to take a look at them, um, but maybe set the stage for that. Could you share more about the program, the Kata, Kata Kita program and the reception you received when rolling out those three shows across um in November.
4: Adib, you want to talk about Kata Kita?
0: Yeah, okay. So Katakata Kata Kita was
2: born out of basically the 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 seven community workshops that Hazira mentioned and also our own artistic like discussions based on on what we knew from previous editions and also what we 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 found out, right? And I think in, in the backdrop of, of the pandemic, I think that was what informed uh, the form Actually, the the talk show uh, online. Uh, we wanted to find something that could engage the audience in in a way that that would promote a dialogic kind of communication which we typically would have with an installation in a more i would say slow burn kind of way you know the the people in the community see us setting up and they they are curious like what hang mentioned and then they come in and they participate like the lady who who joined in for the last dance that i i uh, talked about earlier but we had to do this all online and we had to engage in, in that way so a live stream felt like um something that could potentially help us do that and at the same time it has the possibility of still being a part of our online world and still refer to it as the, that's the unique thing about it you know it, it, the, the actual talk show is online and I think uh, trying to get the audience to to come in and to also share their, and get them heard was something that we wanted to really really look at so that informed our decision to have the radio call-ins for Radio Duke for example, which was uh, based on a radio show where people would send in letters that the DJ would read out. And then we invited people to call in live to, to respond. We also had, instead of a forum theatre show, which audiences can, can come in and become spec actors and change the trajectory of, of the play. We have three episodes of um, a play called Sukar Malapaskan about a family who goes through different issues pertaining to end of life uh, over over a time span. So we, we try to leverage on the strengths of all the differences in in the form to do like this short 15 minutes, 20 minutes episodes and, and hopefully... Promotes a following and a promotes discussion because after that show, we had a panel discussion with members of the community. Uh, we had a uh a lawyer we had a social worker we had a nurse and we we had discussions based on that so that was our basically thinking at, at continuing this engagement with the community and throughout that um, there were small small programs that we also wanted to throughout the talk show that we was engaged in the audience like um, asking them what was the worst thing you could say at a funeral and, and trying to do it in a more uh, light-hearted way which I think gave us a very unique perspective of of the form itself and also the issue and how the community engages because uh definitely who comes to watch online is very different from who comes to watch on the ground and we, we might have been able to tap on a different demographic or a demographic that maybe we we weren't intending or we uh, weren't so able to invite in. So for me, yeah, that's what kata, kata, kata experience was like for, for from an artistic perspective.
0: I wanted to. Hing Luan and Sulin and Hazira to jump in, but I thought it was important to kind of mention that to me, at least from a spectator, even hearing that this podcast right now, based on Adib, what you're sharing, it's a very intentional and reflective process. Because just now when you talked about the last dance, you were saying that that was only available in Mandarin and English and that part of the reflection from there was that you were missing a demographic. And I wanted to hear from Hinglan, Sulin and Hazira about, you know, the creative and production process in, 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 in designing Katakala Kita.
4: Yeah, maybe I'll just jump in to also say that, I mean, it was quite a nerve-wracking addition for me, I think for, probably for Heng Ruan too, not sure, you can speak for yourself. But I think for the producers, I mean, it kind of felt like, in a way, we're back at 2013, even though we had accumulated seven years of doing, this experience of doing this project for seven years, because this was, a, in a sense, new cultural community. So, I mean, we have, you know, incorporated sort of Malay, even Tamil, you know, more, but maybe more from a language point of view in the previous editions, some of the stories as well, but actually to design something entirely for the Malay community, I mean, it, it takes an entire different approach, right, from the way the program is designed to the the stories, the language, um, everything, right? So it's not just particular stories or, or in, you know, incorporating the language, like having four languages. So for us, it was a great a steep learning curve and that's why we brought the, the three researchers on board because how do we enable both sides now to be culturally competent is the word and that requires doing research from the ground up really immersing ourselves in those stories the way they're told the kind of metaphors down to like things like colours you know what are the sort of the the issues and and what's urgent and, and all that kind of the emotional weight of things as well so And I guess often feeling like, how do we bridge that, you know, from a different, coming from a different cultural community as well? Because, I mean, there are similarities across the different cultures also, while there are also differences. So, what is that balance? What do we highlight? What do we how do we talk about this issue also taking into account that we're a larger sort of multicultural society, right? So, I mean, there are many, many things to think about and then things like also translation, you know, back into English or, or you know, English into Malay. So, so yeah, so going in with a lot, a lot of considerations and feeling quite nervous about whether we'll hit the right note and whether we'll be offensive, so on and so forth. But I guess more importantly, the principle, the is humility and openness and the willingness to kind of feedback and I have to say the research report, I mean, guided us through that process. The three researchers, um, we did a wonderful job. So, you know, you know, there were archetypes, there were key themes and stuff for us to kind of really, um, I guess it's evidence-based, right? So I think that that really helps. Of course, having Adip and Molly on the team throughout, I mean, that was the biggest sort of confidence booster lah, because they've also been journeying with both sides now and being from that cultural community as well. You know, definitely we take the, the lead from them also. So I think when it came down to it, I think what also was kind of like a curveball was the fact that we had to go hybrid, right? So the strength of sides now has always been in-person engagement, creating and designing particular spaces for engagement to happen. And then the facilitation, we train volunteers, the other ones holding space, having conversations. So it's a very relational dialogic space. So how do we then pivot that online, which is a totally different kind of space. And it's um it's quite cold in a way, right? I mean, you can't quite bridge and the the human, the body warmth, the, the tone of voice, everything, you know, it's just kind of different. So for me as a producer, I think um, while Kala Kita, I think went really well, all things considered, I was really missing the in-person kind of relating. Uh, we had about 80 audiences in the space with us over the, three or four days but the majority of audiences were online and then but even for the audiences in person we couldn't like sit around tables and have conversations volunteers had to keep one meter apart and the the interactions had to be transitional so it's more like okay uh, I hold the mic for you or would you like this resource or tissue paper you know but it's not a conversation right so that for me was personally frustrating because it's like okay you know we're in a totally different way of of relating and engaging now but I think the content of Kata Kata Kita is very strong and the stories really resonated with our audiences on site as well as some feedback we heard from virtual audiences and what was really interesting is I think the space they appreciated the most was the space to be able to talk about or inverted commas are because you they couldn't really talk about they could talk into a mic and share like kind of like a to everyone but not in smaller group conversations but to just open up that space for them to share about their stories around loss and grief. So I think for me that that was the most significant in terms of the impact where for me also I learned that it's quite hard I think for the Malay Muslim community to talk at length about loss and grief, right? I think there's religious teachings around that and not sort of dwelling too much on it, you know. So you can grieve and all of that, but you, you kind of need to snap out of it as well. So I guess to some extent then the processing gets maybe a bit paralyzed. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but limited and almost feel guilty, right? Being able to to grieve too much. So I think for the project to then open up that space where they're able to hear other people talk about it or Literally, we had some callers who were crying through their sharing because I think it just opened up this this well of emotion. And then having DJ Big kind of hold the space and just, you know, be that reassuring voice, not giving any advice or solutions really, just holding space. I think for others in the audience to do that together with the caller or just, the letters that were sent in beforehand and read out. I think that was a really, really powerful space. Uh, I I could feel it, you know, like, and that space was appreciated. And we heard, I mean, most audiences, when they gave us feedback in the feedback form and stuff, said that they enjoyed the Radio Dukachita segment the most. And then also the panel discussions, because I think the panel discussions were... They were more didactic, but I think it gave information that perhaps the community was looking for. So around advanced care planning, what exactly is this? What do I need to think about? What kinds of questions? So, you know, we had a, a wonderful speaker, Kat Halicha, who's a medical social worker, and she really broke it down and then shared from a personal experience. And then, oh dear, I suddenly forgot her name. What is the name of the Kat, the, the, the palliative care nurse who really shared, like, from the bottom of her heart? I did. what's her name, ma? come back to you. Yeah. Okay, I'll come back to me. Anyway, she's a palliative care nurse, and um, that particular sharing session also uh, touched a lot many because she went through. She shared about her struggles with cancer, uh, and she herself is a palliative care nurse. And I think her courage also to just kind of question spiritually, existentially, and I think that's also you know potentially taboo within the Muslim community to actually sort of question God about things, and then to actually say that out loud, other people can hear you're questioning God. But for her, it's all part of her journey of grieving through also having cancer, almost losing her life and then coming to terms with a lot of things spiritually. And I remember a member of the audience who was in person after the show spoke to me and said, you know, that was so empowering for him because he had gone and a bout of cancer as well. And he was thinking all those things, but he didn't know how to say it or could he actually share it with someone. And so she basically open up that space for permission for others to connect and actually heal also through hearing the stories and validating their own stories. So I think these were the kinds of responses that really stuck with me. But we're just really hoping more people can watch this online. So it's all hosted online and hopefully over time also. Yeah.
0: And we'll link it because you, you, you had two parts in your sharing. I want to bring, I'm going to bring Hazira in later because... You talked Mm -hmm. about the research report and, you know, it touched, you know, as a viewer, you see part of it. I think it's most clearly seen in the panel discussions, but you mentioned that it touched every point of the the process. And I want to bring Hazira in later, but maybe I can go to Mm Hengguan first because, I resonated with your audience in saying that uh, the DJ big segment was probably the most emotional and personal, right? So I, I just, in thinking about the bigger picture, how did the team kind of decide that these were the three segments, right? The um, Starting with the radio to Kachita and then moving to the variety show, then the panel discussion. What was that process like? And then what was some of the receptions? I think Sunin talked a little bit about what the reception was, but I was viewing it behind the screen, but what was the in-person kind of reaction like from the 80-plus audience you had every night or evening? Yeah.
4: Now, sorry, I must just quickly jump in to correct my... um. So it was Kat Halija, who, the, who is the palliative care nurse who shared, and Kat Zahara was the one who shared about uh, advanced care planning, and she's a medical social worker. So just to correct that.
1: So. I think we have to also go back then to our whole community engagement workshop, that we did you know in trying to understand the community and that workshop reveals to us that how do we create a kind of space for people to share so are there many different ways to share so so if, as we were creating it the project with uh Adip and uh, molly we were constantly thinking you know how would people express the kind of stories that they have a phone call or would they write letters so that's where we started to think about you know, what if people write letters to us and let us read for them. And then we just get someone who has a wonderful voice, who has a certain kind of gravitas, you know, when you hear the voice to do this. I think on that night when he was reading these letters, especially on the second night, after she, he read the letters, you know, when the call came in, we were, I wasn't with the audience. I was actually backstage. I was backstage and uh, Big was, uh, radio, DJ Big was uh, on stage. But I could see the audience from her side. And I remember that uh, when the phone call came, the person spoke with quite a lot of pauses in between. Well, those were moments where she was managing her own emotion during the process. In fact, you you can feel, you can hear the audience breathing with her. And I think that's the kind of uh, listening that is so important in the work like this. Uh, We call it the vulnerable listening. we not only listen to the vulnerabilities of the people who are sharing stories, actually, we're also listening to our own vulnerabilities. I think that's where empathy comes, right? Empathy comes when you hear another person's vulnerabilities and also see your own vulnerabilities. In that way, you know, that takes away a lot of judgment. You can't judge people for being weak. You can't judge people for doing this because you realize that, you know, we all act from some area of whether involved uh, whether it's vulnerabilities, fear, or pride, and and I think that that was those moments where the vulnerabilities uh, of both the audiences and the uh, the person who spoke connects. And for all of us, we were like, oh, my God, how are we going to end this session? <laughs> 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 I I think when we are devising projects like this, right, the number of layers that we constantly have to think about, you know, how do we uh, create a work that do not just make people sympathise. How do we create a work that people do not just only feel cathartic, but also feel a kind of brotherhood, sisterhood, alliances, of being together, of uh, not being alone. That is actually more important than, than merely healing. And I think in theatre or in arts, especially when you have performances or you have shows that has a, col- a group of people coming together, that sense of uh, coming together, sometimes disagreeing, sometimes agreeing, but reading the whole topic together, yet hearing multiple different voices, was always our consideration when we were even making uh, both sides now. So we could have in both sides now people who tell us that it's not important to talk about this. I don't think uh, both sides now would want to say don't come to this show. <laughs> I think both sides now accept that there were people who are not ready and who may not want to talk about at this moment. And the design of the space is such that, you know, you allow people to even say, even I disagree, I want to sit here and want to listen to what people has to say. I think that's, that's what we really want to do. So it's not just a whole space for people to feel that, you know, we have the same experience, but even a whole space for actually disagreement
0: and that's that's great because the I shouldn't say great that's such a lazy adjective but like what I'm trying to say is I see as a viewer that three segments across the three days right but in hearing from the four of you the what you say hang on about vulnerable listening it's not just in the context of that segment itself, but like things that preceded that process of development and listening and, and hearing and that requires a lot of work that often goes unseen, right? That's not something that you that that is immediately apparent and, and you know, which is why when I looked at the panel discussions, for instance. I see a lot of the research work, but you know, as Suleen, you mentioned, there was a lot of the research report that informed every part of the process. So I just want to bring Hazira in to talk a little bit about how does the research then with the community engagement workshops, the talking, how does it inform the program design and what was your experience in deciding the topics and themes in, in this program? Yeah.
3: Yeah, maybe some context right before that. As a volunteer, I also gave feedback that I felt that some of the programming that I was earlier involved in might not be are so relevant to members of the Malay community. And I want to really thank the team and acknowledge the courage that I feel they had in order to pick this this mammoth task on. The ethnic composition in Singapore being what it is. And we know that, and you know, with the rise of like, well, not the rise, I guess it has been persistent in terms of racialized medicine and how we think about a race in Singapore. I think that's an entirely separate podcast by itself. But basically just, I was initially, I was elated that the team, when it was announced that this year's edition would be, well, last year's edition would be focused on the Malay Muslim community. But I was also nervous because my own experience of engagement in this, in terms of like when people say or when, you know, in whatever form, racial harmony, day celebrations in school, my experiences as a former mother tongue teacher, when people say, let's do a Malay thing, inevitably Stereotypes, right? Or like, really, you know, and and again, people always think of racism or stereotypes as malicious or painful or vicious. But it can also be subtle, you know, in terms of, oh yeah, I want to respect your community. I want to know more. Oh, you guys do this for high Raya. So, you know, it becomes costumey to put, for, for lack of a better word. And so, even before the research team came on board, I was invited to be interviewed as part of 15 resource persons that the artistic team interviewed before the community engagement workshops or CEW. And interestingly enough, all three members of the research team were interviewed as part of resource persons, as part of 15 resource persons. And these 15 people came from a variety of different backgrounds, right? There were like social workers, lawyers, aged care practitioners, uh, researchers, a nurse, interfaith advocate, nursing home resident. And part of the process was we actually attended. Okay, so when there is a long story, but to cut it short, the research team was formed after this first batch of interviews. So the three of us then attended the CEWs and the, or community engagement workshops and then we triangulated the our observations our participant observations from the CEWs the seven CEWs had 47 participants from a variety of like demographics, including age, so economic like, background and also like various life experiences, we triangulated the information with the interviews that were conducted with the 50 resource persons. And I think an important thing to stress is even though it's targeted towards the Malay Muslim community, the community is not homogenous. The community is extremely heterogeneous. And it even, I felt like, you know, I mean, I've been in this research space for four years three of which were specifically palliative care, I had to learn what it meant to co-create with an artistic team, right? I mean, research, the two of us in the research team are anthrop—well, I guess I say all three of us are anthropology trained. And so we are familiar with narratives. We are familiar with stories. But this, I would say, is the first research project I've been involved in, in which I had to co-create with my founders. And in fact, I was part of the DR creation process, right? So it was a really interesting it was a really interesting research process, like, you know, in terms of participatory research, what it means, right? And in some places, the research team were like part of our data set because their feedback, what they say during our very long meetings actually impacted like, our analytical process. And the decision, of course, the themes, you know, well, from the research perspective, that was more straightforward, right? So, you know, the usual staff coded the transcripts, uh, came together, had meetings, hashed out the theme. But I think the more interesting um, aspect of that was coming up with archetypes because we were very cognizant of the fact that we do not want archetypes to become stereotypes. And that's a very fine line in terms of when you think about, I mean, there's so much potential for pitfalls here when you start to think about archetypes, you know, when you start to think about a community. So when we pitch like, developing a culturally competent program to Solin and team, we were so happy that that they took it on or they they were amenable to it or they accepted it fully, you know. And understanding that culturally competent doesn't mean cultural stereotypes. And I think one of the most interesting things was our debate with the design team about what should collaterals look like. (laughs) I think that that's really like a microcosm of like the pitfalls of representing culture in Singapore, right? Because, you know, members of the design team, they were not Malay, right, Solim? They were not Malay, but they were trying, yeah, and but they were trying to think about how to uh, de- like create design elements that, that appeal to the Malay community. And initial, and I think because this thing is very open, I can see that initial iterations look like we were saying like mosque collaterals, you know, like, like basically just symbols of the Malay community that we I would see like during my like when I was going to Madrasa and I was just we had this discussion about come on guys, representing the Malay community doesn't mean you need katupat or Arabesque uh, iconography, you know. So, what does it mean to come to to be able to represent the experience, the particular experience of the Malay community, right? Which in itself is heterogeneous, but still appeal to the wider community. And I think being in attendance at one of the katakata Kata, kita like uh shows really brought it, really brought this home to me because there was a segment in which a non-Malay member of the audience actually stood up and said, you know what, this was exactly my experience when my mother appointed me as a nominated healthcare spokesperson for her ACP. And then she basically, this is another pitch to please catch the show on YouTube, yeah. She basically talked about how the conflict that she saw in the drama, right, and the drama, the Sukar Malapaskan, right, is really like a Malay sandiwara. It's like a you know, telenovela by the Malay version, right? And you would think that this is very particular to a specific audience, but, you know, as the wave in K-drama has shown, right? Good storytelling, impactful narratives that are able to touch people fundamentally is beyond like language, it's beyond icon. That doesn't mean you throw away like elements of the culture, right? But the idea behind it is that the storytelling is so impactful, that is able to transcend even in some ways, right? Particular social context. In fact, the particular social context help to ground the issues, right? So when the protagonist in the drama faces these issues, you understand she's wearing a tudung. Like that's very clear, right? Symbol. She's wearing a tudung. She's from a Malay family. But the issues cut across. And that's some, what That's what we mean by culturally competent programming, right? It's programming or, or it's, it's coming up with, with a way to represent issues that feels very grounded, very solid in the experiences of a particular community, but it's able to cut across. And I think what katakata Kita has done is to give us, us being Singaporeans, the vocabulary to talk about shared experiences without coming from the Chinese majority perspective, which is which is really important and really hard. I mean, I can say you now like la la la, but it's really it was really a very intensive learning process, including from the research team. So yeah, that's my very uh, sorry for going on, but I just want it very hard to express yeah. how difficult I,
4: I, I think we need to name the other two researchers because you keep saying the three
3: researchers and then they <laughs> and... <laughs> Yeah, yeah so, of course so, yeah, other, mm-hmm. yeah, so one of them is Art, who also happens to be my boss at Center for Aging Research and Education, Senior Research Fellow at our center, and the other one is Normala Manak, so who's a consultant on our project and director of age matters. Yeah, a company that works on gerontology and, uh, and aging issues.
0: And and I think the the beauty of it is that ambiguity, that heterogeneity, that complexity and that messiness and the best of like what you're trying to do w- within a team is mirror what is actually the experiences of individuals, right? And so that the discursive elements of it being complex and ambiguous within a team, I don't think we hear about that often enough because we assume that it's a linear, very straightforward process, but there's a lot of thought, there's a lot of reflection, re- reflexivity in, in, in the research process where art meets design and research meets art. And I think that's something that's quite unique about the, in the engagement endeavor, right? And I also know we are closing on our time and I, I want to make sure that, you know, in thinking about all these and, 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 and moving ahead with both sides now as well, you know, we know both sides now is now planning a public engagement Program in Badog this year So I, I thought maybe Student, you could give us As a final question And answer A sneak peek as to What we might expect From this program Later this year
4: Okay I'll, I'll give a sneak peek But um, Adip and Hingran Should jump in Since they are the artists Coming up with the programming So we're going to be at Happy at Badog This is September um, We're looking at 21st to 25th September for now And hopefully The COVID rules And all of that We can actually engage In public And we're not going to Go into another lockdown and we're looking at, and it's going to be called Lepaskan uh, Sesalan, which is about letting go of regrets. So, so regrets will be a key sort of focus, but I would say it will be unpacked from there. And this, this idea of regrets about how it can also be maybe intergenerational to some extent where if we don't sort of, you know, deal with our own regrets and understand them and then make changes Or some of this also can be passed on to the next generation or it goes in cycles, right? Because the intergenerational element also was something that we wanted to explore a bit more, especially this year because that was one of the research findings also, that there's this mutual misunderstanding between generations about how to talk about end of life or seniors think that their family members are not ready. Uh, Family members think the seniors are not ready or they don't want to offend them. And so, you know, there's this sort of elephant in the room. But anyway, honing in on this idea of regrets. And there'll be different program components. So we're going to be bringing back so new stories will be will be written or rather an extension of the stories from last year, different aspects of it. And this one, maybe Adit can jump in a bit more in terms of the the storying, but that program, uh, that storytelling component will continue, but we're going to make it into forum theater. So the idea of forum theater is there's going to be a huge challenge or a crisis within the story and then audiences then get an opportunity to come into role. Um, It's facilitated but to kind of offer up, you know, how they would approach the problem or what they would do. So we wanted that kind of interactivity and the audience engagement to to come back in. So theatre is a great form for that. And then Radio Dukasheeta also will be back but in a different form And maybe Alip can say a bit about that as well. But again, the idea of public sending in their stories or their letters beforehand, they being read out during the public engagement. But then audiences on site also being able to share their stories. So that very immediacy and the kind of intimacy is something that we we do want to bring back also to the site. There will be participatory activities, but also uh, very exciting. This year, we uh, have a co-creation element with members of the community. So last year, a lot of the works were created by the artists for the community, but this year we have two ongoing workshops, which, you know, take place between now all the way to the public engagement. So we're working with a dance company, they're called Prisma, a contemporary dance company. And they are working with a group of seniors from Monfort Care, this is uh, the Badok branch. And we're just starting that process where the seniors will then co-create a movement piece with Prisma around these issues. Uh, end of life related issues also the living well living well right so it's never just about end of life but also the the living well part but also exploring the idea regrets and all of that so they will probably be a a movement kind of performance and we'll see what else evolves from there and then we're also working with Dalia Osman she's a visual artist installation artist and she is working with Molly and they are working with a group of participants of different ages actually and they are comprising largely audiences from last year, Kala volunteers of both sides now, as well as some of them are community engagement participants actually from last year. So it's uh, they were invited to participate in this workshop and so they will be exploring also the different issues and topics and dial introducing various types of art forms, visual art forms, right? So then it will culminate in an installation that will be on site at Heartbeat Epidote. The last, the other programming component is totally new in that sense also. It's called Five Waktu. And we're working with Suhaili. She's a, she's a uh, I guess, a theatre practitioner. And we will be looking at the five sort of prayer times in the day. And tied to that, different Suhaili will be interacting with audiences on site. There may be an online component to this as well. We're still discussing that but uh, essentially looking at the five times of the day and what they signify and inviting audiences to then sort of respond to questions that Suhaili will be putting out. But she will share first, you know, a story and it's meant to be very reflective and for them to, I think, be more conscious about how they go about living their everyday, the kinds of, I guess, values that they hold on to, who are the people in their lives and how, you know, they want to relate to them. So it's, it's it can be quite spiritual, I suspect. So that's still being shaped up at the moment. But this idea of time and the everyday and it's the decisions we, we make every day also that you know lead up to something larger. So this again, this idea of regrets or letting go or remembering, forgetting, that kind of thing. And then we'll bring back the talks, the conversations, inviting panel speakers. And it's meant to be kind of like a whole day affair, right? So from morning all the way to night. So again, durational. And we're still talking about the design of the space. I don't know how much to say because maybe it should be a surprise for audiences. <laughs> uh, I'll let Hengla make that call. But if we're successful, you know, part of the space at Harbi Abedot will kind of be transformed to transport people to somewhere else, hopefully, but also more importantly, create that the kind of space that people want to enter and share and be willing to be vulnerable, but yet safe. So hopefully we are able to pull that off. And most importantly, that we can sort of have smaller group conversations again, you know, right now we're at 10, right? So hopefully it, it goes 10 or more <laughs> yeah. uh, at a table that can sort of have those conversations at the end of every night, you know, because that's where the, the connections between audiences occur. So Hingla, I did jump in. I hope I did it justice.
1: I just just want to clarify that for the, uh, the, the five what two, right? It started with thinking about the prior times, right? But what we really wanted to do was uh, you know that the whole idea of the five paradigms times was to maintain account connections spiritually, and I think that's what we. When you talk about regrets, right? sometimes it's so much about you know, have you actually maintained connections, either with yourself, with the environment, with the person who are most dear to you, or people whom you have always wanted to connect but you always think that you're too busy. So that five times is really like an alarm a very gentle alarm bell that keeps reminding you that, hey, it's time to just remember something. It's time to look through, you know, something that you, you have forgotten. And so it's designed as, as a kind of participatory performance whereby the audience who so highly in that work too, in a kind of a collective act, as well as storytelling, in a way to actually serve to remind you that, hey, remind yourself to be connected, that you don't isolate yourself, you don't alienate yourself. You can live your life alone, but you, it doesn't mean that you are disconnected. I think uh, that's, that's that's where uh, Limawatu will be uh, heading towards. Adip can talk about the uh, forum if you want.
2: Yeah, I think it's about bringing back familiar elements from kata-kata Kita so that those people who have a reference will will be yeah will, will be greeted with something that they they're familiar with. But at the same time also using those elements that the production team, the creative team are, are, are familiar with, right? Because last year was our first foray into engaging with the Malay Muslim community to engage them in the way that we, we initially wanted to, right? To get them to come in. So for example, like uh, Sukar Malapaskan is, is going to be a form theater where you can actually share. And I, I'm really excited to hear what, what the community has to say because I think like um, Hazira mentioned, um, it's not a homogeneous society. We have so many facets of of, of uh, Malay Muslim, what, what it means to be a Malay Muslim person here in Singapore. And I want to hear the, the differences and see how we can actually learn from, from all this together. Uh, and for, for Radio Duka Cheetah, which uh, I think like uh, Jinyao and everyone has mentioned how it's been quite uh, affecting people who have listened into it. We're looking at maybe transforming it into something a bit different and, and maybe DJ be- becomes a, a different character that can actually engage in the same way and it's a lot of possibilities but at the same time we know what we want to talk about so we're hoping that by giving that space um, we can learn from these conversations uh, so I, I guess Sulin student has really hit in, in detail and I'm, I'm excited to actually bring it to fruition.
4: Yeah just to say Junya that you're, you're the first person we're sharing our plans <laughs> to and, and the listeners of Social service SG. So even our funders don't know this yet. Okay, so yeah. So thank, hopefully you. thank you. Thank you for trusting
0: me with the. And I'm really <laughs> looking for. Hopefully, I'll be back in Singapore for that. And um, I cannot thank. Usually, one of these, you know, it's when we talk about initiatives and projects, it's just about the highlights and motivations. I think it's one of the rare times because of the diversity of views and and representation that we've been. Able to dive so deep into the process. And then I mean, I really, I mean, I've enjoyed writing now and reflecting myself as well. So thank you, Hingguan, Adip, Azira, Sulin, for taking an hour of your time with us today. Um, really looking forward to initiatives down the road. And then and, and thank you again. Thank you,
4: junior.
0: Thank you, junior. Thank you, thank you,
3: thank you. Yeah.